Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained, Christians are encouraged, and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Take your Bibles tonight. We're starting a series kind of helping the home, strengthening our homes. And tonight the the topic is just dealing with the how protecting our marriages from infidelity. You say, well, I'm not married. That's okay. Consider this preventative medicine. Chapter 4 of Proverbs, of Proverbs, and we'll just begin reading here in just a moment. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we dive in. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying the Word together tonight. Thank you for the good music we've heard today. Our hearts have been lifted up and challenged. We're thankful for the bell choir. It's always a blessing around Christmas, especially to hear them play, and we're reminded just of the bells of heaven. We look forward to the day when we can enjoy all the sounds and the sights of heaven itself, the glorious music that will be there, and we're thankful for this warm-up for heaven. We're grateful for everyone who's worked so hard. Lord, I pray, I do pray for those who will be participating in the drama and the and the cantata coming up here uh, just in a week or so. We pray, Lord, that you'll especially help them with their health, and that we would appreciate your help with that. And Lord, I just thank you for the time we have to share together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Protecting our marriages, especially when it comes to this issue of infidelity. Uh, some 30 years ago, uh, a man at the south part of Indianapolis, a pastor friend of mine, Tony Slutes, had a man in his church that he called it a poem, but it's very touching, and I want to read it to you. It's about an older couple that he observed as he was out and about eating, and the love they expressed in their marriage one for the other. Listen as I read it, and I trust it will be a blessing to you as well. He said, I first saw them in the parking lot, both with hair as white as snow. They were walking hand in hand, moving rather slow, shoulders bent and rounded from toil in many a year, probably in their 90s, gently smiling, full of cheer. There seemed to be a glow on each wrinkled face. They chatted with each other, walking at a steady pace, four legs, strode in unison, as if their bodies were one, keeping up a steady cadence, having moved together so long. To the restaurant door they moved, he opened and held the door, gently he held her arm to evade slipping on the floor. They stopped at a corner table as if it were their own. He helped her remove her coat, held the chair, and she sat down. The waitress came by with the menu, and they smiled and said hello. She asked, will you have the usual? As if she seemed to know, the meal was brought to the table. She gave a little nod. They gently held each other's hands, bowed their heads, and remembered God. Throughout the meal, they chatted. Occasionally, one would grin. You'd see their gentle hands come together now and then. When they finished eating, the waitress wandered by. They teased her about something with a twinkle in their eye. She asked if they'd have dessert. She said, we must control our weight. They talked about a piece of pie and settled on a chocolate cake. The waitress came with the dessert with an extra fork and plate. The old lady carefully halved it, starting and shared it with her mate. When the meal was over, they sat and talked a while, gently touching each other's hands. Now and then they'd smile. He moved her chair and held her coat. The door he opened wide. 
He took his arm and they walked out slowly, side by side. They held hands across the lot until they reached the car, a light new, older Ford, shining like a star. He helped her in, gentle and kind, as if she were a queen. They drove away, her next to him. Love like this is seldom seen. This is known as agape love that's shared with God by God with man. Seldom do we see it expressed in this old evil land. And he concludes by saying, when in the New Jerusalem, when the New Jerusalem descends from God above, all that dwells within its walls will share this kind of love by a man by the name of William Holder there in Indiana. And I'm not telling you anything new, but isn't it sweet to know that the love that we have uh, when we stand at an altar and make our vows can persist through the years. It can. And it can get sweeter, as the song says, as the years go by. It doesn't have to diminish with age, nor be violated by eyes and hearts that stray. And again, I don't think I'm alerting you to anything new when I say that marriage as God designed it is under attack, has been ever since God designed it. We have recently held, or recently heard about the Respect or Disrespect for Marriage Act that has been recently approved by the Congress that really is a, a misnomer. It should be known as, uh, as really a disregard or disrespect for God's view of marriage. And at the federal le- level now, we're going to be expected to, to, every state is going to be expected to validate same-sex marriages, regardless, regardless of what the Supreme Court will say or has said, this seemed to usurp that. And so there's greater validation and protection for marriage in opposition to how God designed it. But secondly, I think that we're seeing on a social or at least a level within the church as well that there is a reflection of the divorce rate outside the church. So it's not very much different, the rate of marriages that fail within the church. And I think the devil loves to hold us up as Christians with failed marriages as an example. See, it doesn't really work that well. Now I know, I know that God forgives, and he does. And new starts can happen, and they do. But we're seeing this disintegration of marriage all around us. And I want to encourage you as a church. In fact, I hope I can remember this. But when we are done tonight, I hope that I can remember to just have you stand here and there, those of you who are married, and share one blessing that your spouse provides for that she means or he means to you. Just one that stands out. You raise your hand if I forget. We'll get to that. All right. I, I know that the pattern in, in church around, churches around us and through the ages has been one of disappointment. In fact, seven years ago, Billy Graham's own grandson, Tulian Chavadin, uh, those of you who uh, remember this, perhaps not many do, but this is James Kennedy's um, uh, Billy, Graham's, Billy Graham's grandson who followed Dr. James Kennedy down in South Florida at the Coral Ridge Famous Church, Presbyterian Church. It was a mega church, South Florida. Pastor Tulian, a rising, rising star in, in evangelicalism at the time, admitted, stepped down from the ministry after admitting to an affair. He excused himself. He was uh, uh, trying to 
excuse himself a little bit by saying it was his wife that started off by being unfaithful to him first. And she responded to him by saying, well, that's his side of the story, not mine. Three years ago, after being divorced to his first wife, he re-entered the ministry saying, claiming that God had brought him out of his darkness. And so he's starting over And it only follows, really, a list, as you know, of high-profile pastors who have fallen in this area. I want you to remember to pray for your pastors. Pray for all of us. We ought to pray one for another that God in this church would give us strong marriages. The devil is attacking us, and we know that this is a seductive culture and society. Well, here's just a short list of names that some of you have probably heard of some of these. There's Jim Baker from years ago. Jimmy Swaggart, Doug Phillips, Bill Gothard, Robert Tilton, Mark Driscoll, Carl Lentz, Bill Hybels, Brian Houston, Matt Chandler, and the list is growing. Sadly, one of our good friends recently that we, ha- we heard about, Robin and I, good friend who has been a, a blessing to us in instructive ministry, we've benefited greatly from his teaching, has uh, also uh, fallen to this. In fact, he said, the reason I'm stepping out of the ministry is because of moral misconduct, as he calls it. No marriage is impervious to the attacks of the evil one. Not theirs, not yours, not mine, not ours. And you might say tonight, oh, but I would never be careful. Uh, In fact, all of us remember that day we stood, most of us, in a church or a similar place, and in front of a preacher perhaps, and witnesses that were gathered, we said those words, to the effect, I will be true to you, so long as we both shall live, so help me God. How many of you remember saying something to that effect, if you're married? Yeah. It should not surprise us that if monogamous marriage between one man and one woman for life is the standard and the bedrock of civilization, and it is. And if Christian marriage is designed by God, according to Ephesians chapter 5, to be a reflection of his own love for his bride, the church, that it would be under attack. It is designed by God to reflect his special love for the church. And it's going to be targeted, it shall be targeted, it always will be the target of the devil to destroy the bedrock of civilization as well as the picture of God's grace to his church, the bride, bride of Christ. So let me just share with you tonight, in the time we have remaining, a few little ideas that might be great principles for us to hold on to if we're going to protect our marriage from the evils of unfaithfulness, infidelity. First of all, remember this. Remember, first of all, that God came to your wedding and he heard your vows. And God takes them, whether society takes them seriously or not, God does. What God, Matthew 19, 6 says, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So you're saying, well, did did God have any part in my marriage? Well, absolutely. Once you said those words of covenant vow to that that person standing in front of you and holding those hands, that sweet moment, and she went glowing white, and you dressed up in that tux young, you said those words to your spouse, God heard those. In the first 
marriage performed by God in a garden, Genesis 2.24, just one man there, one woman, but God was the officiant of that marriage. And everything that he had created in the garden, every creature, of course, had its design and purpose, but man was created for the woman and vice versa, and God made them in a special way. Adam from the dust of the ground, but Eve he created lovingly from the rib of Adam, and there was a special, unique quality about these two hallmarks of God's creation. They were designed to be reflective of the very image of God, the spirit made for worship, the capacity to choose and to speak and to communicate like no other created creature. And God came to their wedding, designed them one man, one woman for life. And what a beautiful thing it is when God designs something that we follow the pattern. Marriage was his idea and his institution for the good of mankind. So God, wise in his choices, made made them male and female, designed them to function as a composite unity in marriage. These two shall be one. Two, yet one in spirit. Two, yet one in purpose, in calling. Two, yet one in physical intimacy. Two, yet one in companionship and ministry. They are to be helpers one to the other. And God has a wonderful role that is unique to the man, unique to the woman, but together they fulfill that wonderful picture. And he said, God, I'll remind you, God said, what God, you say, what did God have to do? Well, he, once you, once you said these words to one another, I commit my life to you. I commit my life to you. God then seals the covenant by his attendance and what he has put together. You see, he rightly is the author the designer of marriage, and he placed you together for life. You say, wait a minute. Here, it's been a little while, and I don't feel like he's the right one for me anymore. I don't feel like she's the right one for me anymore. The question is, what do feelings have to do with it? Your feelings come and go, but they cannot undo the I do. They should never. So the words you said that day on your wedding we're not only a promise or a vow to a pastor, in front of a pastor, in front of witnesses, but they were spoken in front of the unseen guest, the unseen best man. <laughs> he is the best man at every wedding, and God was listening, and he will hold you in account to these words. You told your wife or you told your husband that you would never leave or forsake. God will hold you to that as a stewardship. Be faithful. Those Words meant something and should mean something. So number one, remember your words. God heard them. A vow is not a good suggestion. A vow is not just a passing, flighty fancy. It is, in fact, a covenant made before God, so we must live by it. Number two, here's a, another wonderful truth. Renew your focus. You wondered if we'd get to Proverbs. We will now renew your focus. Look, look at verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 4. Renew your focus. Remember your words. Renew your focus. Verse 23, Proverbs 4, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, foolish mouth, perverse lips, put far from thee. Let thine eye look, let thine eye look right on, 
Straight ahead, let thy eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, let thy all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. What is it we are supposed to be walking in a straight line about? What is it we're supposed to look at? He's saying, make sure you ponder your path. Make sure your eyes are focused on the right thing. What is God asking us to look at? Look at back in the text at verse 5 through 9. Here's what God wants us to see. The best thing in all of our relationships is our relationship with God. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Don't decline from the words of my mouth. Speaking about wisdom here. Forsake her not. She shall preserve thee. Love her. Love her. Who's the her? <laughs> Love the wisdom of God. With all your heart, seek her first. She will be life to you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get it. With all by getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring the honor when thou dost embrace her. You see, the love relationship first ought to be towards God. The worship of him and his words. He shall give, thee, uh, give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall he deliver to thee. So the eye, the focus it's speaking of here is the focus upon God. Let your focus be established in your marriage on the Word of God and the God of the Word. Let your marriage be scriptural, be biblical, be Christ-centered. And you won't have a, such a struggle with your eyes straying. We are to choose carefully where we are looking and going. Verse 26 says, Let God consume you. So really, when you think about it, all adultery is a failure in worship. We have left our first love, and we have replaced God and his words and obedience to it with some lesser God. Let me say that again. Sin of adultery really is to uh, be one who is worshiping the wrong, the wrong thing. Uh, and I think you'll follow this. Real adultery begins in the mind, doesn't it? It always starts with an imagined adultery. It begins with a look away. A look away from God and from his will for your life. It's an aberration of worship. It's wanting to want what I want instead of what God wants for me. And so it's a glance away. It starts that way. Another glance, a fantasy in the mind is born. A seed is planted in the imagination. It's tended over time. It's watered with our thoughts until it sprouts, with evil sprouts. And because no man can love two masters or two women, just ask Jacob about that, Leah and Rachel, right? Because we cannot love two masters, we will love either the one or the other. So the, the man or whoever it is, the adulterer or adulteress begins to love someone that she is not married to or he is not married to. And he begins to let go of reality and live for a fantasy until so captivated by the illusion or the lie of something better with someone else, he leaves what he has for the lie that someone else or something else will satisfy him. Some other life, some other place, some other person. 
some other excitement will bring him fulfillment. How foolish. We are told that second and third marriages fail at a greater rate than the first. They become even more toxic. Not always, but that's the average. And the next relationship tends to be even more flawed than the first because this man or woman is operating under the pretense, the notion, that a new bed partner can finally fulfill him. Listen, it can't, it won't. And the reason is only one person can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. No person has the capacity to fulfill the soul like God does. It's the wrong focus, isn't it? And so, here comes the man and the woman to counseling, and uh, they're wondering why the marriage is going uh, awry, because no amount of physical scintillation can bring contentment to the soul. Only Christ has that capacity. And so the man sits before the counselor with his wife, and he admits to, to him, it could be a pastor, it could be a godly a man in the church, somebody that wants to help him, he says, I'm a slave to pornography. And so the next question from the godly counselor is this, so what lie are you believing? What false god are you worshiping? Well, he answers, the woman or the women that I see on the screen, the virtual women that I see, they are attractive, they are creative, they are aggressive in bed, they are uncomplicated, seductive, willing, exciting, and responsive. They are everything my wife isn't. And the counselor turns and asks the woman, the wife, so what do you think about that? Well, she says, heartbroken, it really is hard to compete with a virtual picture of perfection. It's hard to compete with a fantasy. It's a lie. These kind of women don't exist in real life. She went on to say, these women don't really love my husband or know my husband. These women don't have to pay bills and change diapers. They don't get up in the night with children who are crying. <laughs> they don't have to get up and get lunches early in the morning made for the kids. They don't have to cook, clean, mop up floors after the kids throw up. And she went on to say, with a little bit of anger now, if those women who live simply to seduce men for money ever met my husband in real life, they would run away. He's unattractive. She's getting back now. He's lazy, sulky, unwilling, checked out, dull, unresponsive, and no amount of sex is ever going to change or fix that. So the counselor turns again to the man and says, what do you think about that? See, counselors have an easy job, right? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? And he says, pastor, I guess that's why we are here. I believe physical intimacy with a new model, another woman will satisfy me, and she believes that life with someone who is responsible and emotionally stable and responsive will satisfy her. And then the counselor says what I think is very important. He says, yes, you are both in love with false gods. You believe that some fling with some woman that you don't know will satisfy you, bring you joy. And maybe, dear woman, you believe that a man that was a little more responsive to you emotionally, 
that would communicate more and be more responsible around the kids would then bring joy and satisfaction to your heart. And so we notice that the answer is to change our focus and put it again. Both of these two need to put their focus on the one person that can satisfy, and that's God. If we live for a fantasy or an expectation or a kind of a picture of something that's not real, we're believing lies. And we see, please notice this in chapter 4 and verse again, 13, 14, and 15, our focus is wrong. Look at this, look at these. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. You see these words that are almost words of endearment. Keep her. (laughs) Embrace her. It is not some fantasy that is your life. She, wisdom, God's wisdom is your life. Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. So it's important then, verse 20 and 21, give us again the importance of this. Chapter 4, verse 20 says this, My son, attend to my words, incline to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of, guard your heart. Keep these things in the middle of your heart. Make them the fountain of your desire. Or you will go astray. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Don't live in the fantasy world. Keep your focus. Remember your vows. You made them before God. Renew your focus. Love God first, best, and most. Only he can satisfy. Don't look at your spouse and expect him or her to be the fulfillment of your life. God only can do that. Number three, relight, relight the home fires. Invest in your marriage again. Do you remember when you were dating? Every third thought you had was about him or her. Maybe every second thought. I don't know. But remember those college, oh, I don't know when you got married or how it worked for you. Uh, but you just continually thought, I wonder what she's thinking now. I wonder where she is now. I wonder what she likes them. I wonder what kind of food. I want... You're always thinking about, then you got married. <laughs> and it seems like we take each other a little bit for granted, right? We forget to answer the text. I'm most guilty. We forget to, uh, to check in. We let things go around the house. There's no energy. There's no romance again. And we tend to just let the marriage go into disrepair. Now, I'm going to quote a, a name that many of you know, Bill Rice. Uh, and I've used this quote before, and it's going to be, shock you a little bit. But I didn't even have to write it down. I remembered it the moment he said, I don't know where we were listening to him preach on the home and the family. But he said, here's what I found out in my many, many years of working with Baptists, especially independent, fundamental Baptists. He said, they are lousy kissers and lousy lovers. (laughs) I said, what? (laughs) Do you know that when you get to Proverbs chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, after exalting the love that we ought to have for God and for his word, he turns the attention to the mutual exclusive relationship in which sex finds its, its fulfillment, marriage, and marriage alone. And he says, now, enjoy yourselves in marriage. Let's go to the, uh, the uh, end of chapter, excuse me, end of chapter 5. And he says this, 
You ought to drink waters out of your own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. Speaking of marriage, let your fountain be dispersed abroad, the rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers. Don't share this intimacy designed for marriage alone with anyone else. Close the windows, close the doors. Let thy fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. You know, sometimes we talk about safe sex. Do you know that sex was never intended to be dangerous? God designed it as a pleasure and intimacy for the, in the context of marriage. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Be ravished. Should we use these words in a church setting? <laughs> it's right here in our Bible. Be ravished always with her love. Why does, why does marriage go stale and sour? We get carrying grudges with us. We get to holding on to things. And pretty soon communication fails and there's a negligence of just the compliments, right? We talked about it right away as we began tonight. Here's a couple in their 80s, perhaps 90s, who are still opening car doors and sitting together and looking each other in the eye and enjoying that casual touch on the hand, that love that says, I, I want to be with you more than anyone else. You are the greatest friend and the greatest gift outside of my relationship with Christ. Folks, do you understand the treasure that is seated beside you if you're married and seated beside It is wonderful. And sometimes we have just let that go. And here he is saying, listen, I want you to enjoy your marriage, the excitement of it. I was, uh, verse 14 of chapter 5 says this, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Here's a, a personal pronoun where Solomon the writer takes that first person, I, of course he's, he had a, a background in history, didn't he, with women and struggled there. But he said, even at church, even in the midst of the assembly, I struggled with my thoughts and my desires, and they were out of line. I went astray, and we are finding that even in the context of the church, we're having great marriage difficulties. I want to say this. If you're struggling in this area, don't be afraid to get help. But he says this, there, in, in the midst of the congregation assembly, I was almost tripped up. I, I, I remember asking a young couple who came to me years and years ago about the struggles they were having with loyalty to each other. They had almost given up on their marriage and were beginning to stray. And I said, do you think that your disloyalty to each other will land you in a relationship someday where your new lovers will be loyal to you. Well, that stopped them a little bit. Do you know disloyal seeds, when planted, always produce disloyal plants? Disloyal seeds, when they're planted in your heart, always will produce disloyal plants later. And it's true. We cannot think that by being disloyal to one that we covenant our love to and going straying, that somehow... The next 
relationship we're in will be more loyal than the last. Solomon said, These thoughts were tempting me in the midst of the congregation, the midst of the assembly. So the writer wisely says, Relight the fires at home. Give energy. Pour energy into the home life again. Look in her eyes. Hold her hands. Say the kind words. Don't catch yourself in public beating up on your spouse. Don't say those words that would hurt and break down the relationship. Always build loyalty. Encourage. Be kind. Build. Because if you begin to do that, you're only hurting yourself. Enjoy physical love in the context of marriage. Be ravished with her love and her love alone. So that's so important. Uh, it's meant to be a place, that your marriage is meant to be a place where all those around you see that that is a relationship that I, marriage is a great thing. As we think about our marriages here in this church, I'm so thankful for them. They're not perfect, certainly ours isn't, but it, it, it makes the young people in our church desire to get married. Hopefully, they see in us the joy that comes from being married, and uh, would want to be married. So in this context, we see we're to drink from our own well. The verse 16, let our love life be full of excitement and fun, obvious to those around us that uh, we are in love. And verse 17, let this love be exclusive to you and your spouse. Verses 18 and 19, don't defraud one another from the blessing and joy of, marital, of the marital bed. Rejoice with her. Paul would remind us in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians that the husband must, not, must render to his wife due benevolence and, uh, and vice versa. Why? That you not be tempted. Satan not tempt you for your deprivation or your incontinence. Remember the spark? Build that again. Work on your marriage. Make it strong. And then... Quickly, we are to respond to God's reproof. Chapter 6, verse 20 says this, and in a few verses beyond, My son, keep, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them upon... There's a warning here. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp. The law is light. And the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Here's the danger to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither, here's a phrase for you, neither let her take you with her eyelids. I wish, now here, we'll better fit before I come back, I wish that, uh, I wish that on those pop-up ads or whatever, wherever we see billboards where there are immodest, seductive women that pop up and drive the heart, pull the heart of a man away, focus the attention of the heart away from God in this marriage, I wish that they would immediately on that screen all of a sudden burst into flames because we see the end. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes be not burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent so we are to understand that we are to respond. I guess that little phrase in verse 23 uh, catches my attention. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life. 
And when you are reproved, dear man, I speak to you specifically concerning your straying thoughts or minds or fantasies. When you are reproved, you are to turn immediately and get back into the path of life or you will, you will, without a doubt, find that the end of sin is captivity. And finally, after captivity and dependence, comes this idea of death. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. So be careful about this. Respond, fourthly, quickly to God's lifelines of reproof. So let's review and add this thought as we close. Remember, God heard your vows. He was the officiant at your wedding, and he will hold you to it. Renew your focus. It is about God that holds the marriage together. Only he can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Number three, relight the home fires. Make your, make your marriage the best it can be. Work on things that are so important. Thankfulness, be romantic, be encouraging, be engaged. Um, be there. Don't check out. Number four, respond quickly to God's reproof, his lifelines. And then last, repent or face reproach. Let's end with these verses at the end of chapter 6, beginning verse 29. So he that goeth to his neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her shall not be innocent. And then there's an interesting phrase here. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. We understand that even though it's wrong to take what, you not, what doesn't belong to you, if you're hungry and really uh, hungry for food and starving to take a piece of bread, we, we can understand that and forgive that. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. There is a consequence even to stealing while you're hungry. And he shall give all the substance of his house. But here's a transition. Verse 32. Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own... Listen. You are destroying your own soul. It is, it is soul suicide. Spiritual death engage in these things continually. A wound and a dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. You need a list in your mind, if nowhere else, of the consequences to straying, to infidelity, unfaithfulness. You need a list in your mind to protect you. You think of the broken-hearted woman that you will face when she finds out. You think, about the children who have looked at you in honor all your life. You think about the grandchildren who love you and hold you up on a pedestal. You think about your church and the confession you would have to make. You think about your ministry. In some cases, it would never be the same. You think about the consequences and the dishonor, the anger of that spouse whose spouse you have violated you think about all these things, and you want to you put a price tag on that. What is, what is this fling? What is this momentary pleasure in comparison to all of that? A thief may be forgiven, but the reproach of infidelity is a deep wound and will dishonor you the rest of your life. So count the cost to your ministry. He the verses, and a wound and a dishonor he shall get, his reproach shall not be wiped away. Jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. There's the anger that comes from the marriage that you have wrecked or ruined. 
He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. How precious is uh, the gift of marriage. How sad and silly we are to stray. How dangerous the consequence, and how deep the focus and worship must be upon God and his word to protect us from the, the wounds of infidelity. May God help us to be true. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.